As we start a brand new year, I know that there are probably some resolutions that have already been made. And if we get real honest, there may be a few that have already been broken. I, I don't know that, uh, but uh, it is a few days into the year already. Uh, hopefully, there are also some goals that are being set for 2020. I've, I've uh, set some goals personally and also here uh, within, the, within the church ministry. And so I hope that you're thinking about that if you've not done so already. There are many valuable pursuits in this life, and a new year gives us an opportunity, doesn't it? Just to, to reflect, to plan, to focus. And along these lines, I want to share a message that I pray will be an encouragement today to include the Lord in our goals, to include thinking of Him, and uh, to consider how He is uh, the preeminent one, that when He is in place and when He has His rightful place in our lives, all these other plans and these goals and priorities, as, as important as they are, and I'll underscore that, there are a lot of important endeavors, a lot of responsibilities that we have, but when the Lord is preeminent, He impacts all of those. Would you agree? And so we want to, uh, to begin the year thinking of Him and pursuing Him as our number one goal. The Apostle Paul had something to say about pursuing this goal in Philippians chapter 3, and so I invite your attention there. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at a few different verses from that chapter. By way of illustration, though, as you turn there, let me ask, uh, how many uh, among our early service here would, would say that they are video game players? I know we're going to have a few more in the second service, but do we have some in our first service that say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a video game player? Okay, well, not many. Well, hang with me for a minute, and maybe this will connect, all right? Um, there are so many games out there that can be played, and you know that it used to just be consoles on a television, then it moved to the computer, and now where do people play games? On their phones, right, yeah. So I'm about to share one with you that is uh, maybe something you'll recognize here. Has anybody seen that before? That's an old game. Has anybody seen it? Okay, a few. All right, all right, so a few of you have. So the way this game works is that the configurations of four blocks come from the top of the screen. And you have to, to rotate them to make sure that they fit below. And when they do fit and a whole row is, uh, is filled up, you get points, it bumps down, and more blocks come. Now, what happens is these blocks come in different configurations, and they come at different speeds the longer you play. So if you look at the next screen there, you'll see these are the, the, the ways that they can come down, and you have to maneuver them, and you have, as they fall, put them into place. And so you look at the next one, you can see how that, how that works. And it, uh, it is a fun game. It's challenging to see how long you can keep it going. Um, if you're tempted to download it right now and begin playing, I would just ask, give me 30 minutes, and, uh, and, then, and then you can see, uh, see how all that works. But it is more like real life than we might consider. Isn't life full of stacking? Learning how to stack responsibilities as they come? Don't those responsibilities and priorities come in different kind of shapes and we have to figure out how it's all going to fit and they come at different speeds and we have to adjust and adapt? You see, that's what life is like. That's what 2020 will be for us. As many plans as we intend to make, we also know there will be things coming that we may not fully anticipate. We have responsibilities. Depending on the stage of life we're in, those responsibilities are different, but nonetheless, they are responsibilities, 
for the students among us, they're going back to school and they're going to have homework and, and different uh, projects and pursuits and tests and different stages of life. We're, we're planning for our, our, our children and our, and our families and we're taking care of homes and, and we are, are, are trying to nurture relationships in every stage of life. We have responsibilities. We have daily tasks. And learning the art of stacking these has never been more important. But you know, God is no stranger to this. In fact, he gave us a lot of insight on how we can take these responsibilities and these priorities and how we can see what they are in light of who he is. God tells us what is most important in the stack. Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he gave a very simple yet very deep reply in Matthew chapter 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So, yes, in some ways, a simple statement, but in in many ways, a very complex reality, right? To, To keep him, love meaning not just an emotional feeling, right? But love meaning commitment. Love God. Make him the commitment. Make him the priority. That's what true love is really all about. And he says, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Right here, Jesus is telling us how to stack the priorities as they come. But it doesn't end there. In fact, verse 39 continues by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see that that also is a high priority to think of those who are around us, to also be committed to them. So the main priority of this game we call life is a fervent love for God, followed by an authentic love for others. So as we begin this new year, can we take a few minutes to reflect, to ask, how, how are we stacking things in life as the blocks of responsibility and opportunity come our way and they come into the picture? How are we placing them with God as the foundation and others as an immediate and next priority? Then we can begin seeing how God is arranging our lives for his purpose, and for his glory. Jesus also gave a similar statement in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And I think probably the verses I've shared already may be familiar to many, if not most of us in the room. But are these not verses that, that we continually need to go back to? Continually let them guide us and, 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 and put into perspective the things of this world. Because without it, we could get easily overwhelmed. Without it, we could easily struggle on, 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 on what is priority in life. But yet here, Christ has said, here, here is the priority. Seek me. Love God. Seek the things of my kingdom. Put them first. Again, doesn't mean that other things in life aren't important. We know that they are. Other priorities, other responsibilities are important, but they're not the most important. And when we get that out of order, then things get even more difficult. But when we are able to see God as number one, the number one pursuit, the way to begin the day, the way to see everything else in life through that pursuit, all the other priorities and all the other responsibilities, they are, they are blessed, they are shaped, they are empowered. To love the Lord and to seek Him indeed shapes every other pursuit in life. Let's jump into our text, Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I'll confess, I was 
I was wanting to take a lot of chapter 3 today. And uh, in fact, I had a longer outline than what I'm going to share with you because it just it was too long. And so uh, you, that may surprise you. You may not think I ever do that. But I, I do at times take things out. And so uh, this is one of those days that I did that because uh, there's just so much here in Philippians 3. This is a, a chapter where Paul is reflecting on his life. And he's, he's, he's thinking about where God uh, met him and, and what his pursuits were like as a, as a, as a Pharisee even. And yet then, as, as God reshaped his thinking, and he understood that his goal was Christ. And so he, he uses that word goal several times in the chapter. And uh, we're going to look at it in three different verses this morning. Let's begin in verse 12. Again, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let's just take those three verses for the morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll reference a few others earlier in the chapter as well. But as we think about this, I want to ask one question today. We'll ask it at the beginning and the end, and here it is. How am I reaching forward to pursue Christ? How am I reaching forward to pursue Christ? Now, as we think about that, I, I, I phrased it a few different ways before I landed on this. I thought, I, you know, we could keep it really simple. Am I pursuing Christ? But that, that wasn't a strong enough question. I want to really make it personal. How am, how am I doing that? As, as I look at the life that, that God has for me and as I see a, a new year unfold, how am I pursuing Him? And not just pursuing, but I like the idea of reaching forward. We, we pull that right, right out of the verse here. We see Paul straining, reaching ahead, reaching forward, not looking back, not ge- being, being paralyzed by the past, which we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But reaching forward, I like the idea of, 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 of momentum, of forward progress, of looking ahead. And what a, a, a great time to do that, the first worship service of a new year, to stop, to reflect, and say, Lord, help me to pursue. Help this to be a year where I begin with momentum, personally, pressing forward, understanding that that there is a call, a prize, a goal that you have given to me to know you, to pursue you in all things, to have you as a top priority. Well, again, I, as I said, chapter 3, the context here, these verses are, 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 are really Paul writing about his life, writing about his conversion, what it was before knowing Christ, and then of, of, his, of his continual faith and growth. And so let's look at verses 7 through 10 as well, because we're going to see the word goal used there. And so uh, we need to keep all the, uh, the connecting points here. Look at what he says. But everything that was a gain to me, all the things that in his old way of thinking would have been highly valued by himself and by the world, right? 
Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. You see what he's doing? He is explaining the gospel. He's explaining what Christ has done for him and how you see this this idea of imputation, See that the righteousness of Christ has come upon Paul, and he realizes that, and he knows that gives him a a different standing, a new life in, in Christ. He goes on to say in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So that's the... That's the crux of what is being explained before we get to verse 12. As he's thinking about the pursuit of the goal, that's what the goal is all about. The goal is is, is seeking after Christ, knowing him, growing in him. And we think this is a man who was a, a giant of the faith at this point, writing a letter to a church while he is in prison in Rome. He has taken the gospel to new places. People have heard it from his lips for the first time. He's had all of this accomplishment and success, if you will, on a spiritual level, in a ministry level. And yet here, what is he writing? He's writing, I want to press forward. I want to reach out. I want to continue to have momentum in my growth. Paul didn't think he had arrived. He didn't think he was done growing in the Lord. He was not content with his stage in the Christian life. And that's a word for us because as long as we are on this soil, we will have room for growth, won't we? There will always be an area in which we can grow in Christ-likeness. In fact, Romans chapter 8 in verse 29 speaks of believers being conformed to the image of his Son. And so to truly be Christ-like means that, that there will continually be things that are, that are removed and molded and reshaped. There'll be things added as we continue in our growth and our maturity, our understanding. And so to begin to see that, that even Paul realized this, that he needed to continue to pursue. It's a lifelong pursuit of growth. And right here in verses 12 and 14, he uses, and I, I don't, depending on which version you're reading, it may say pursuing, it may say pressing on, it may say, as the one I read, making every effort. I mean, these are strong words, and, and he's really borrowing them from the sphere of athletics. These are track and field words. Talking about a runner that's, that's pressing on, may be tired, may be exhausted, may have a whole lot of race behind them, but is still doing what? Pressing on still maintaining a a desire to to have forward progress, putting forth effort. So this is the goal, and this is an active pursuit that he's speaking of. So I ask the question again, 
How am I? How are you? How are we reaching forward to pursue Christ? Probably every week that you come here, you hear three words. Hear them on the video, you see them on the bulletin, you see them in, in, in many different ways. The words worship, grow, and serve. And why do we put those out so frequently? Because from a biblical understanding, those are three important ways that we pursue Christ. Do we pursue Him in our worship? You bet we do. He's the object of our worship. He's the one that we sing to. He's the one that we pray to. He's the one that, 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 that gave us the word that we, that, we, that we seek to receive when we are together in worship. When we give in worship, we're, we're giving to Him and to, to His mission for His renown. All of it is about Christ and, 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 and worshiping Him. And, and there's growth that happens as we worship. Because when we worship, we are, we are recognizing His sovereignty. We're recognizing His rule over, over this world and over us. We're also recognizing that, that He is one that, 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 uh, that we want to surrender to. Is that part of worship? Surrendering? Saying, Lord, not, not, not my will, but yours be done. Not my glory, but your glory in my life, in this church, in this world. And so worship is a, is a big part. And so, so we encourage as a, as a church, we encourage one another to be part of worship. Now, thankfully, we have two options every Sunday morning, right? We've got an early service and a late service. And we say, you don't have to be at both of them. Just pick one. Come to one. Be a part of it. Be, be, let it be the normal routine and rhythm of life because worship is a part of pursuing Christ. Now, we know that worship happens on a personal level too in an individual context as you start the day and, and spend time in prayer or time in the Word or throughout the day having times of personal worship, but, but, uh, but we see that both are, are called for from Scripture. So that's why we, we emphasize worship. We also emphasize growth. The idea of, of discipleship, of, of growing in our understanding of who He is, our understanding of God's Word, um, the small groups that we have, which we are blessed with, with so many, and we are uh, in, a, in a church context here where, where most of our church family are involved in small group Bible study. And uh, some of it, that takes place Sunday morning. Some takes place on, on Tuesday at, uh, with joy ministry. Some happens on Wednesday evenings. Uh, some happens on early mornings. There's some men's Bible studies that gather. And so these times of, of getting together in a smaller context so that we can discuss, that we can sharpen one another, that we can encourage one another, those are things that happen in a context that's very different from this one. Because in this context, there's not a lot of, of interaction or, or feedback or, or being able to give one-on-one uh, -on -one encouragement. And so, so we, we, we certainly want to emphasize the idea of growth. But also, it's not just a matter of what we receive, but it's also, it's also giving. And so that third word that we say so frequently is serve, that God has gifted us. If you are in Christ, you have been gifted to serve. And as we look at Romans 13 and, and uh, other Romans 12 and other, other passages, 1 Peter 4, that speak of the gifts that have been given, we, we understand that, that God has, has given us these gifts so that we can serve others. And we serve here in the church, and as we do so, it's, like, it's almost like spiritual exercise, isn't it? 
whenever we're serving and we're using those gifts and, and we're growing. And yet we also know that, that when we don't serve and when we're not using those gifts, we, we can get very, very stale, very stagnant because we are, we are meant to, to, to bless others and to live in a context to love others just as we read earlier. So, so those, are very, uh, those are three very important words as part of that serve context is, is also the idea of, of going forth, serving outside these walls, taking the gospel to other places, to other parts of our community even. And so all of this is, is part of reaching forward and pursuing Christ. And so maybe look at those words, worship, grow, and serve, and maybe think through and allow those to be a, a framework to, to think about your own walk with Christ this coming year. That might be something that's very manageable to consider. I know many look at Bible reading plans for the year, and this last Friday, we emailed out in the Fellowship News, the very bottom, uh, a link that has a whole list of different ways someone could look at the upcoming year and, and read either the entire Bible or read portions of it. And so uh, pull that email up if you didn't happen to see that at the end, and, and uh, we can certainly get that to you. Well, let's keep moving. Look at the middle of verse 13. It's a little phrase there where he says, but one thing I do. One thing I do. I don't know if you like to underline in your Bible, but, but uh, in mine, the, the, the words one thing really jump out, right? You talk about singular focus. One thing. Again, this is uh, uh, an analogy that, that he's borrowing from, from track and field. It's a picture of a runner being totally focused on one thing. There's one goal. There's one finish line, one, one aspect that, that demands his primary focus, his total concentration. One thing I do. Sometimes when life feels like a game of Tetris, we need that, don't we? Because we can look around and say, wow, it's coming from every direction. And it's coming in all kinds of shapes and sizes that I've not anticipated. But to know that there is a one pursuit that is there, that gives clarity to everything else, this one thing. This phrase is found in other parts of the Bible as well, and it's, it's used in a similar context. Let me share a couple of examples of that. In Mark chapter 10, the, uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He told about all the things that he'd done, all the commandments that he supposedly had kept, and Jesus said in Mark 10, 21, you lack one thing. So there was one thing, one thing there that, that he needed to be reminded of. <coughs> we know that there are distractions all around us, competing ideas and values that constantly call for our attention. In the case of Mary and Martha, there were a lot of pursuits happening in the home that day when Jesus came for a visit. Do you remember the text? Luke chapter 10. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What was Martha doing? She was, she was running around. She was busy. She was serving, doing good things, right? Martha wanted Mary to get up and help. And listen to what Jesus told Martha in Luke chapter 10. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. What was that one thing that she chose to do? What was her focus that at that point? What was her concentration? See how it shaped everything else? She, and, and Christ mentioned, she, she chose correctly, right? This one thing, this opportunity that was there. Even back in the book of Psalms, there's something very similar. Psalm 27, 4. 
It says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. One thing. It is what I desire, that I, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Now, I know we, we could get caught up on the idea that he's going to a place. Think about this from a New Testament perspective. How can we gaze on the beauty of the Lord? Think about it with the, with the, the, the indwelling spirit that we have and with the word that has been given to us. I mean, we, if, if the psalmist could do this, right, we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And we can call it our one thing, just as he did, and say, this is what I desire. One thing I do. So there is a call there for total concentration. Now, we need to give this concentration to one thing, the life God has called us to live. But I, I want to be very careful and say that this is a call to present action. Now, I know there are some things that, that may be a call for what we're doing Later in the year, maybe some discussions in your family. There have already been some discussions in our church staff about things later in the year. But this word for us today is a call for right here, right now. It has implications for an entire year, but it begins right here. It's a call to present action, a pursuit for today. Let me share a word that the great British pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave January the 31st, 1892. I'm not sure if this is the day that he preached it or the day that it was typed and sent out as a, as a, as a message, but nonetheless, this is what he said. Why then is it that we are always counting upon what we are going, what we are going to do? How is it that instead of living in the eternal future where we might deal with certainties, we continue to live in the more immediate future where there can be nothing but uncertainties. He says, count not on distant years. In the course of nature, your days must be few. Listen to what he says. Live in the present. Live unto God. Trust him now. Serve him now. For very soon, your life on earth will be over. Happy New Year. Aren't you glad you came to hear that encouraging word? Your life on earth will soon be over. Let me tell you what happened in Spurgeon's life. He died one week later. What timely words. Even to the very end, he was wanting to live in the moment, in the present, in the here and now. Yet we have all kinds of eternal realities that are true and that we hold to. And he affirms those. He's also saying right now, in the present. Well, let's continue. Verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I want to stop and focus on that word forgetting for just a minute. This means to no longer be influenced or affected by the past. No longer be influenced or affected by the past. This, from a biblical understanding here of forgetting, means that, that, uh, that it's, it's, no longer, it's no longer influencing. Now, 
As soon as I talk about being forgetful and intentionally forgetting the best we can, um, I want to begin by saying there are some things we should never forget, right? We should never forget that about that theme we've been singing about all day, salvation, right? We've been singing about how we've been saved by grace. We don't ever want to forget about that. And Paul hadn't either because in the earlier part of Philippians 3, that's what he was describing. He was describing that he had been saved. He had been rescued. He had been forgiven. He had been given new life. We don't want to forget any of those things. Don't ever forget the grace of God. Don't ever forget his goodness or his mercy. But there are some things we need to forget. I'm going to give you four. You may want to jot these down. You may want to seek to remember this list of what to forget, if that makes sense. Four things. Number one, past guilt. Past guilt. We want to forget past guilt. Now, did Paul have any guilt in his life? He was a sinner. In fact, he was a persecutor of the church. And that's part of in his conversion. You know, Jesus even said, you are persecuting me. We know that he was present at the martyrdom of Stephen. He was right there, saw what was happening. So, yeah, he had, he had grievous sins against others and against God. And yet he needed to, to, to be able to understand that Christ had forgiven him and that, uh, that these things in his past no longer, no longer were held against him. And so I would say to you, if, if Jesus is your Savior, if you've come to know him, the Bible has said that God has forgiven you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. All forgiven. In fact, there's, a now, there's a, some, some metaphors used, such as he has cast them in the depths of the sea, that they are as far as east is from west. I mean, these are just tremendous metaphors for us to consider that God has intentionally wiped it clean. The righteousness of Christ has been placed into our account, and our trespasses have been forgiven. No longer, no longer are we held accountable for the sins of the past. And so, if God has forgiven you, and He has forgiven us, it only makes sense that we should lay those aside. That no longer should we let the sins of the past hold us back from the present or the future. So we want to forget, forget the past guilt. Secondly, past grief. Had Paul suffered? We know that he had suffered in life just as anyone else had. Living on, in this, this world, we, we're, we, we deal with, with sickness and suffering and all kinds of, of, of matters that bring, that bring difficulty. We know from Scripture that he had issues even as he traveled and as he shared the gospel, many hardships as a follower of Christ, even a shipwreck. And so he had, he'd been through a lot, but he could not let those experiences keep him from pursuing the one thing. And so that's the second one, past grief. We can't, we can't stay in the past, even with the hard things that we've been through. As painful and as difficult as they were, we don't want to stay there with them. We want to be able to press on. Third one, past grudges. Do you think Paul could have had reason to have any grudge against someone? Was anyone ever unkind to him? Of course. In fact, he had been beaten and put in prison for the sake of Christ. He could have held grudges, but 
We look and we see that he's pressing forward. He's not stuck just thinking about what had been done or said to him. Today, there could be people even among us that are struggling in the Christian pursuit because they are holding on to what somebody has done to them or what somebody has, has uh, uh, said about them. I, I would gather that, that each of us could think of occasions where we've been mistreated. Now, I, I don't pretend to say that it's at the same levels. I realize there's many differences in, in the category of mistreatment. But to some degree, we've all been mistreated. We've all had things said about us that weren't true. We've had accusations levied, right? We've been in situations where it just wasn't fair. Anybody else been there? Yeah. And, and we could allow that mistreatment to well up, and hold on to it, and, and allow that grudge to be there. But when that happens, are we able to press forward? Are we able to look ahead? Or instead, as we, as we nourish or nurture that grudge, what are we doing? We're looking back, looking to the past. There's a quote that's been attributed to so many different people. I'm, uh, I'm really not sure uh, who said this first, but I did see that Augustine is one who is said to have made this comment. It's this, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You heard that? You drink the poison, you think it's going to hurt someone else. Well, that's the grudge. That's bitterness. So maybe, as we think about a brand new year, maybe this is a year to lay it down. Maybe this is the time to say, it has, it has taken too much of my mental energy. It's taken too much of my joy. It's taken too much of my time, my attention, my focus. And I want to focus now on the one thing. I can't change the past. I can't change what was done to me or said about me. But I can just lay it down. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Let Him be the one to be the judge over what all happens in this world. And I want to press on. I know that's tough. And I don't, I don't say those words lightly. But that is, again, something that we can seek to forget. Past grudges. What else should we forget? Number four, past glory. Past glory. Because no doubt in a, in a room of esteemed individuals like this, there have been a lot of accomplishments in this life. And I'm sure you can look and say, okay, yeah, these are some things where I've had moments or, or, or areas of, 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 of success. I've, I've, I've seen victory. Maybe, maybe in, the, in the work world or in the academic world or the, uh, maybe athletics. I, I don't know where that might lie, but you've probably sensed some, sensed some area in your life where you have had success. Did Paul have any? Sure he did. I mean, this guy went into towns and cities that hadn't heard the gospel, and when he left, there were followers of Christ and churches being established, and some churches that were even planting other churches, right? So here's a guy that, that did have, in a, in, under a God-ordained way, success. Do you think he could have just said, you know what? <laughs> I've done my part. <laughs> After that last shipwreck, that is it. I'm done, right? I, I, that's the last time I'm going into to a prison it's time for Timothy, right? What about Barnabas? Let him, let him have some of this. Or who, who knows who else he could have thought about. But what do we see in Paul's life? That wasn't his pursuit. He was like, as long as I have opportunity, as long as I have breath, 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm pressing ahead. It's almost like he was saying, there'll be, there'll be time to rest in another, in another dimension, in another time. But for now, verse 14, he says, I pursue. I pursue. Well, I think the approach for Paul was full throttle. Full throttle. Straight ahead. And I think one reason why he could do that is that he was intentionally, to the best of his human ability, forgetting those things which are behind. And I will admit as much as anything that that these are not easy things to do. But they are necessary. We have to, church, be able to continue looking forward and not get strangled by the things of the past. Even the good things. Don't Don't let the good things hold us back. I spent a little more time on this because I think it may be a key point for some of us today. In fact, there may be some who have frankly just stopped serving. Stop serving the Lord, stop serving others. Maybe you've stopped pursuing hard after the Lord because you're looking backwards to something else out of the past. Can I ask you, church, is today a day to look forward? Can today be that day? For some of us, that it really may need to be like a, a drive the stake in the ground. This, this is a day where I'm, I'm looking forward. Verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I pursue. Some versions say I press on. The finish line is in view. And I'm going hard till the end. Pushing to the goal. Reaching out. Totally and completely focused on what's ahead. I like what the author of the book of Hebrews said in chapter 12. Very similar thought, by the way. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles and snares. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. What a beautiful passage. Just brings things in to perspective for us. To keep our eyes on Jesus. I don't know how many among us grew up in an agricultural setting. Anybody grow up on a farm? A few of us. My dad grew up on a farm. He still, still has a farm. And uh, we like going out to grandma and grandpa's farm. Uh, some farmers are crops. He's been mainly more in, in, in beef. But those that do crops, they know how important it is to get the crops in at the right time and to do it in the right way. And I read a story about a, a boy who was trying to help his dad put the crops in. And he had to disc a field. You know what that is? Had to get, the, get those straight lines ready so that the, uh, the field can receive the seed. And you want them straight. It helps with the harvest and so forth. And so he put his son behind the wheel of the tractor and said, I want you to run this disc straight. And the key to doing so is find an object out ahead and drive the tractor towards it, right? Maybe some of you have heard that before. Well, he got behind the wheel and he started going. He kept his eye on the object that he picked out. And sure enough, just a, just a few seconds later, his dad's running beside the tractor and stopping him and says, look, look behind you. 
He looked behind, and sure enough, his, his, his row was not going straight. And he said, son, I, I told you, put, put your eyes out on, on an object out in front. He said, well, Dad, I did. I did. So well, what object did you pick? He said, well, you see that bird over on the ground? <laughs> well, that bird just kept moving, and he just kept following it, right? Well, that, that, that's, that, that's so much can be the way I live my life, the way that we as humans can put our eyes on the wrong goal. What's the stationary object? In his case, it would have been a fence post, right? Well, in our case, we look to the Word of God as bedrock truth. We look at a Savior who is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. We put our eyes on Him and say, that's our pursuit, and we're going to not get distracted by the moving objects and the things of this world. We're not going to go to the left or the right. We're not going backwards. We're pursuing Him as the number one goal. What's the key? Keep your eyes on him. Well, let's end with the same question we began with. How am I reaching forward to pursue Christ? And that may not be a question that is answered just here in this, in this time. It may, it may call for some reflection. And for the young people that are here among us, even the youngest of those who are here among us, this is a question for you as well. You, you, can, you can grow in Christ this year. You can know more of His Word. You can spend time each day. It doesn't have to be chapters and chapters. It, it, maybe it's a, a small amount, but it's still something that is nurturing you day after day. So I encourage you to think about this. How am I personally reaching forward with intentionality to pursue Christ? This morning we're going to have a response time as we do each week. I'm going to ask our prayer and encouragement team, if they would, to make their way to the tables on the sides. If you're here today and you'd like to talk with someone about what it means to know Christ personally, we have people ready to receive you and talk with you, to pray with you. Maybe you have another spiritual decision. You want to know about, more about what it means to be a part of this fellowship, or you want to know about baptism. Or maybe, maybe you're walking through something very difficult And you long to have a brother or sister just simply pray for you. That's why they're an encouragement team. And so during this next song or when this song is over, you can make your way to the table and uh, you can meet with them. That's the invitation. Also, the ushers are going to come and receive the offering for today. So I invite them to come as we give back gifts of worship. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our great God, you indeed are our Lord. And it's our desire today to not only say with our lips, but to also follow with our, with our minds and with our actions that we want you to have first place. Help us, Lord, to, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to pursue your kingdom first. Help us, Lord, to see clearly not only what you have done, but where you are calling us, where you're calling us today to meet with you, to grow in you. Father, we thank you for a church family and just the blessing of being together in the beginning of a year for the time of worship. We pray that we can continue to draw closer to one another, that we can grow closer to you, and that we can be used by you for your purpose and glory. Father, may you bless the offerings that are being given today, use them. May you bless the conversations and even, Lord, may you use the, uh, the interactions we have with one another.
to draw us closer to you. If we pray this in Christ's name, all of God's people said, amen.